Father, we just come to you this morning. Our creator, our redeemer, the source of all life. Outside you, there is nothing. And there can be nothing. Everything is held together, Lord Jesus, by the power of your word. Every planet, every star that was thrown into the universe is held together even till now by the power of your word. And we are privileged, honored that you have entrusted your word that holds everything together into our hands, O oh Lord. Help us this morning to lift your word as you have lifted it above your name. Let everything that concerns life brought down to the authority of the word. Let every straying heart return. Let every wandering mind return. Let every problem be put down. Let every spirit of oppression flee. Let God's word have free reign in his house and in the hearts and the minds and the ears of his people. For your word says, O Lord, in Jeremiah 1.12, I watch over my word to perform it. Watch, Lord, watch. Let it come to pass in our lives. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope if you were in there on Wednesday, at least you logged in and listened because we always try to continue from where we stopped last. Every Sunday morning or every time we gather around the Word, we meet. It's to turn the hearts and the minds of God's people back to God. If you were there on Wednesday, I said in the old days, you know, the truck drivers, and the modern day truck driver, the difference is modern day you have what is called power steering. That's why you see these huge trucks, 18 wheelers, 60 tons, and that guy driving it one hand because of power steering. Old days, when we grew up, you had to see that poor fellow with all his strength turning at the curves because there was no power steering. So you see Apostle Paul and uh, Peter and all when they're preaching and in the church because scripture says they gathered daily for the apostles' teaching. It's just like power steering, one finger. But today we are all Indians, one day matram. So every Sunday after seven, six days in the world, the pastor has to turn you back to the word. But sometimes I feel I'm the only one who's turning. But that's why we preach in faith. Back to God. Back to the Father. Back to the kingdom. Back to the shepherd of our souls. Let's get our focus back. Yes, we go into the world and we lose focus. We lose focus. There was one cry from the hearts of God's disciples, Jesus' disciples. That was, Lord, teach us to pray. It's one thing they asked of him, teach us to pray. And when he teaches them to pray, he begins and tells them and us, this is how you need to pray. Our Father. 
sweetest word that came from the Savior's mouth. I believe when he first started uttering as a child, my father, to the last word from his mouth, from the cross, my father. Let's come back to the father of our souls. We asked on Sunday, why did he begin his prayer like that? Because each one of us need to know who we really are, our identity, our father. It sounds strange to modern years because this is not the age of fatherhood. This is the age of feminism where fatherhood is mocked. Governments change laws all around the world giving the rights to the mother and not to the father. Where even in churches new doctrines have risen. Why can't we say our mother who art in heaven? God is a father. His son was a man. And his spirit is always called he. The triune God is male and not female. Get used to it. You will live all of eternity with that fact. God is a patriarch. You may dislike patriarchy, but God is a patriarch. And scripture says the whole family in heaven and earth takes their name from God, the Father. The sweetest word Jesus ever uttered on earth was, my Father. My Father. Know your identity. Know who you are. Know you who you are. Know who your father is. God is your father. From there begins everything. And if you don't get it, you will lose focus. The first uttered words of Jesus Christ on earth is when his parents on earth thought he was lost. But he was not lost. He was exactly where his father wanted him to be. And when his parents asked him the question, the mother asked him, how could you do this to your father and I? We were troubled. We've been searching for you. He answers in Luke chapter 2 and verse 49. He said to them, why did you seek me? Why did you seek me? Didn't you know, Lord, that I must be about my father's business? There will be many who will seek you. Many voices that will seek you. Voices that are powerful in the flesh. Voices that are powerful in our ears. Voices we are very familiar for years together. But those voices may come to seek you, to take you away from your real father's business. Know your father. Know your father's business. And he knew his father and he knew his father's business. That's why he said, this is how you need to pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And in his high priestly prayer in John 17 and verse 4, he will say, I have glorified you on earth. I have brought glory to your name, O Father. And he teaches us to pray, hallowed be thy name. Bring glory to your name. By the work we do. The work we do. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I have not only finished. I have brought glory to your name. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I am at my father's business. I at my father's business. That's his will. That's his kingdom. So this morning. 
This was the cry of the only son of God. And this is what he says in Hebrews 10 and verse 7. Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written about me to do your will, O God. Thy will be done. That's the premise. That is where the life of a believer begins. Turn your hearts constantly and minds to the king, to the kingdom, and to the father of our souls. Every day, both Moses and Joshua will say, choose this way. Meaning every day we have to make this choice. It's not one day in your life. Every day, every day is new. Every day I have to make this choice. Who is my father? What is his business? Every day. Every day. Not one one time in your life. Every day. Then only we will be focused. Then only we will have purpose. Because most Christians, or I wouldn't say that, but so many Christians are just living life drifting. With no heavenly purpose. No heavenly goal. There's no focus. There's no real heavenly focus. They have earthly goals and focus, but no heavenly goal or purpose. They do not know what their father's purpose is. Jesus knew what his father's business was. And he was not talking about carpentry. Carpentry was just a trade. But his father's business was something else altogether. All of us have trades. All of us have trades. Different trades. But through all the trades you do, like all a lot of young people sitting over here, young students, that's your trade right now. But don't forget your father's business. First thing, know your identity. Because most people do not know who they are. Scripture says, to as many as who received him, he gave them the power to become the children of God. First, identity. Galatians 3.26 says, You are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Know your heart. You have a very special place in God's heart. You are accepted in the beloved. But the question is, does God have a very special place in your heart and my heart? God is very clear. You have a very special place in my heart because he says, the thoughts that I have towards you cannot be counted. Very special place. I think about you all the time. That's what God says. I think about you all the time. The question is, what do we think about all the time? Know your purpose, what your father's business is. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's his purpose. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, scripture says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, wherever our eyes, at least this Sunday morning, are our eyes on the things that are not seen. The unseen things of God, the eternal things of God, the spiritual things of God. Are our eyes or our hearts weighed down by the temporal, the things we see, the things we feel, the things that concerns this life? In Matthew 6, 
verses 19 to 21, he said, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where are we laying our treasures? Where are we laying our treasures? Why do we get so upset when we lose something? Where your treasure is, verse 21 will say, there your heart will also be. Where is our treasure? Know him, serve him. Know who he is and serve him. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him, and for him. Through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things consist. Everything. That is true. And it is true. Then serve him. And how do you serve him? Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15. 58, Therefore my beloved brethren. Be steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In the Lord. Don't drift in life. Don't be a drifter. Don't be led by crisis. Crisis after crisis after crisis. That's the only reason so many people come to God and stay with God. They are crisis driven. Or others are just drifting. God says no. Very clear purpose. Very, very clear. Different trades. One purpose. My father's business. Different trades. All of us won't be in the same trade. Different trades. One purpose. I'm at my father's purpose. That's why we have to get our focus back onto God. And the purpose of the pulpit, when God's people gather, is to bring everything back to the center that is Christ. It doesn't matter how strong you are, how smart you are, how intelligent you are, if you lose your focus. In God's kingdom, you and I will end up useless. The strongest, powerful among animals is the lion. That's why the lion is called the king of the jungle. Yet if you have seen at least pictures of circus where a lion is used, you will see this little fellow trainer coming in. He has a whip on his one hand and he's got what in his other hand? A three-legged stool. Have you noticed? Because even a lion loses its focus if it has to look at more than one thing. And he knows the lion can't do anything to him because he's lost his focus. That's why he uses that stool. That's all you need. Whole strength of the lion is useless if you cannot focus and know who his prey is. All the strength, everything, all those things are irrelevant if we lose our focus. And last Sunday we had the joy of Pastor Vijay preaching from the pulpit. And you did not have the joy of me sitting at their back. And I was watching. So many of you were like turkeys. Unable to focus. Except Jeff. And I was telling my wife, that kid hasn't taken his eyes or ear off the preacher for one and a half hours. Stuck like a glue. Everybody is struggling. Learn to focus, young children. Learn to focus. 
Learn to focus. Yes, life is hectic. Some of you may be doing 12-hour shifts. Some of the mothers may be doing 18-hour shifts. The husbands don't realize mothers work more. They come after a 12-hour shift and said, I am tired. The poor lady says nothing because her shift never ends. So it doesn't matter how long your shift has been. We learn from the master how not to lose focus from the father's purpose. Today we look at one slice of Jesus' life in the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1. One slice. We're just looking at one tiny slice of his day in his life. John the Baptist is in prison. And Jesus steps on to the public square to preach the kingdom. So whenever one preacher goes into prison, somebody else needs to step out to take his place. Remember, when one servant of God passes away, there should be one or two or more to take his place. Remember, God is looking to see who will step out because one has withdrawn or has been taken out. And he's been preaching the kingdom. In the gospel according to one, Jesus steps forward, verse 15 and 16. Jesus steps forward and makes it very clear, this is my father's business. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel is about the kingdom, not the world. Entering into the kingdom is preceded by repentance. Where there is a godly sorrow and a turning away of from sin and from the world, you cannot enter, you cannot really or you haven't really believed in the gospel. You cannot water down the father's business. Every one of them preaches the same gospel. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and believe in the gospel. He starts preaching. And then you will look at a portion in 21 and verse 22. He's teaching in the synagogues and the people are hearing him preach for the first time and scripture said they were astonished at his teaching. They're stunned at his teaching. They said, wow, this man preaches with authority, not like one of those scribes. In verse 27, you will see they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this? What new doctrine is? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. People, demon possessed people were coming and he was casting out the demons. He's teaching with authority. He's delivering the oppressed. And the next verse 32 and 37 says, when he, at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Teaching, deliverance, healing, crowds. Pressing the whole city was gathered at the door. Whole city. Most of us wouldn't survive a day like that. Paul Washer talks about an incident in his life when he had gone up to the mountains of Peru. A remote, remote place to have a meeting where some pastors and people were supposed to gather for him to teach. Remote place. And he had taken his friend with him who was a medical doctor. And he said, 
Once this people knew that his friend was a medical doctor, he said the whole town came. And for three days, he said, all I did from morning till evening was sit with my friend and translate for him because he did not speak the language. Transfer it when line after line after line after line of patients waited to see the doctor. Do you see what's happening? Oppressed people. Sick people. All sick. All demon oppressed. Nobody can heal them. No doctors. Nobody can touch them. And they hear there is one man who has come. He teaches with authority. Demons flee at his command. And he heals the sick. And all the people are gathered. Have you done deliverance? Do deliverance once and you will realize what really happens to you after the deliverance. The one who is delivered. You are exhausted. Because it's, it's, it's battle. It's battle. He's exhausted. Long day he has had. Long, tiring day. This rabbi really needs rest. Well deserved night's rest. Everybody who's taken a 12 day, 12 hour shift, 18 hour shift will think, I need a rest. Actually, he needs a good sleep. But the next words will define his life. Verse 35 says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. He didn't put the needs of his body first. Because he knew, primarily I am first a spiritual being. If the need of my spirit is not met, it doesn't matter what other needs are met. If the need of my spirit is met, and then I can handle this day with the strength of God. Get your focus right. He needed time out and time alone with the Father because he was at the Father's business. Let me ask you, young ones and old ones, do you take time out every day to spend time with your Father and try or do you take time out from the father and try to do the father's business? The father's only begotten son and never missed time with the father. It didn't matter how long the day was, how great the demands of the day was upon him. He was absolutely very clear. There's one thing and one thing that sustains me. One thing and one thing alone so that I don't lose focus. This was not intercession or supplication. This was communion. This was communion. Today we will have communion. Why do we call the Lord's table as communion? Because he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have any part of me. He says, it's there we become one. It was in that solitary place early in the morning before the light came. He was one with his father. Therefore, he could come out and meet the needs of the people and it didn't wear him out. And One thing God's people take away when they are faced with pressure is that time with the father. We allow pressure to rob us of that time we should spend with God. With God. And then we realize. Why am I so weak? Why am I so weak? Why am I so weak? Even those who are sitting and sleeping in the church. 
It's not because you woke up early. I woke up early, more before, earlier than any one of you. Before three, I was up. If you had woken up early and spent time with your father, you would be absolutely alert. Because you have put your spirit first, the need of your soul, the need of your spirit above every need of the body. And you try it each day and see if it works, you will see it will work. It always works. God's kingdom works on his power, on his authority. But we always think of our body first. Or we become a little intellectual and says, I need to relax now. I had a long day's work, so let me watch a movie. Jesus had a long day's work and he did not watch a movie. He woke up early in the morning and went to spend time with his father. Because our God is a spirit. And we are born of the spirit. And therefore we should think spirit first and put our spirit first. Then we will be renewed in our inner man. And we will have the clarity. We need clarity about the father's business. If you are doing the father's business. You will have very clear. What do you want me to do today Lord? You will have clarity. In verse 36 and 37. Simon and those who were with him searched for him. RSV revised standard version will say they pursued after him. Not to pray. Not to spend time with his father. They pursued him. When they found him, they said to you, everyone is looking for you. It's an insinuation. Lord, what is this? There is so many people all around from last night to till this morning. They are waiting. They are demon possessed. They are sick. The need is so big. And what are you doing hiding in this solitary place? Everybody is looking for you. We are looking for you. Where are you? Don't you see the need in the community? Where are you? The need is real. The need is genuine. And the people are desperate. What is stunning is the response of Jesus Christ. Know what he says? He said to them, let's go to the next towns. Let's go. Let's go to the next town. That I may preach there also. Because for this purpose I have come forth. Strange. The most compassionate man who ever walked on earth. And there is a crowd of sick and demon persons waiting for him. And he says, let's go. For this purpose I have come. Why? Because I see through the eyes of my father. He sees your soul first. He sees your spirit first. He doesn't see the need of your bodies first. If the needs of your body has been met by the living God. Doesn't turn you back to the father of your spirits. Then his work on your body is a waste. It's a waste. Every miracle is a sign that should lead us to the signifier. Every miracle you have experienced the past six months is not drawing you closer and closer and closer with God and you guard that time alone with the Father more than anything else in your day. All those miracles have failed you. God hasn't failed you. Those miracles have failed you. That's why he's saying, let's go. Because it is through the foolishness of the preaching that God saves the souls of men. The miracle is just a sign to lead you to the preaching. Does it lead us more to this? 
Does it open our ears? Does it open our eyes? The signs open our eyes that we see beyond the sign to the signifier and we realize he is holy and I am unholy. Does that miracle happen when we experience a miracle? Ask Peter in the beginning of his life, his encounter with Jesus Christ. What was the greatest miracle you experienced, Peter? He will say, I had worked the whole night. I caught nothing. And then Jesus of Nazareth came and I heard him preach. He got into my boat. He said, let's go a little deeper. And he told me, Put your net on the right side. I did at his word and my net was full. I looked at the sign and my heart and my eyes opened. And I said, Lord, depart from me. Depart from me. This is what I am. This is what you are. I am unclean. You are holy. That's the purpose of the sign. That's the purpose of the miracle. It is not an end in itself. But people want to make signs and miracles and end in itself and not the signifier, Jesus Christ. Not Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells them, let us go. Let us go. Lord, it sounds cruel. Sounds so cruel. Go and do what? Preach. There are people waiting for deliverance. There are people waiting for healing and you have the power. What do you want to do? Preach. How can you say that? Are you sure? Absolutely. How can you be sure? I just heard from my father. I just heard from my father. Did we hear from our father? Preach what? Preach repentance. Preach what? Preach repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. Why Lord? Because that is my father's business. The primary purpose in my father's kingdom is the redemption of souls, not bodies. Do we see life that way? Do we see life that way? That our soul is what is important to God and not so much the body? Can we change our value system? So that we always can come back with with power steering or powerless steering, we can turn back to the value system of the Father. And Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But everybody is worried about the body. Yesterday, GST, how is it going to affect me? I also got four pages of GST rates from somebody. Soap. Oil, rice, we are worried. God says, why are you worried about these things? Are you worried? Of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Nobody can kill the soul except God. Nobody can. Anybody can kill your body. Anybody can kill your body. Nobody can kill your soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God says, do you understand who you are? Do you understand your soul is more important than your body? In Matthew 6 and verse 26, scripture says, What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Yes, you got it all. Bill Gates, you got it all. Use his name only because he's number one on the fortune list. You got it all. $112 million, your house, estate. 
You got it all. Then God, the question to him from God, if he doesn't know Christ is, what profit is it to you? Oh man, if you gain the whole world and loses his own soul. Yes, Bill Gates, I see you on earth. You are rich. You are influential because of your money. You have gained it all. Yes, I know. When you come to India, the prime minister gives you a personal appointment. When you go to China, the prime minister, they will give you a personal appointment. When you go to this place, the emperor will give you an appointment. But do you have an appointment with me? Because one day, you will have an appointment with me. And that day, what will be your answer? What point? What does it profit? Do we see life as God sees? That's our value system. Is it God's value system? In Matthew 24 verse 14, Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom will preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. When will the end come? When everybody has heard that God has come to redeem your souls. Put a price tag on your souls. The gospel of the kingdom is about the soul primarily, not about the body. Not about the body. It's about the soul. We are more concerned about the body. At the midnight hour in 1947, there was this declaration and all the bodies of the Indian men and women and children were free from British rule. And then at midnight on June 30th, the parliament again gathered and proclaimed GST saying, this is the freedom, economic freedom for this nation. But at the midnight hour in Egypt, God said, the blood of the lamb on the lentils of your doorpost of your house and my people shall go free. Are you free in your soul? Are you free in your soul? Maybe your body has freedom today to do what you couldn't do 50, 60 years ago. Maybe you have economic freedom because of your salary or your money or resources to do what couldn't be done years back. But the question is, what about your soul? Can you say, I have the liberty to walk with God? To make the choices which my father tells me? To say yes to this and say no to no. Doesn't matter how good it, doesn't matter how much pressure is. Unable to say no and say yes because... I have the liberty in my spirit to hear from my father daily. That's the liberty God is talking about. Bringing us. Will we rise? Like Jesus? And spend time with the father? He came to declare freedom for the souls. From sin and death. That is why his first sermon. When he preaches in Nazareth is. The spirit of the Lord has anointed me to set the captives free. Captives free. Let my people go. Let's go, says Jesus. How can he be so heartless? How can you just walk away? How can you? Because these are all just signs. Signifying to the power of God the holiness of God, the redemptive power of Christ and the need of a savior for the human soul. And after all these signs and miracles, every time there is a convention or a crusade, you are standing back in the line for a sign. You haven't understood what redemption is. You are a chaser after signs now and not Christ. You can walk away from anything. 
if you are not driven by the needs and the expectations of men or even your flesh, but only by your father's business. But you need to know your father. We cry over the sicknesses of our loved ones. Yes, we need to. We worry about the studies and the careers of our children. Problems in marriages. But do you know all these are temporal? All these things, including a marriage, is connected with the body because there is no marriage in heaven and there is no husband and wife in heaven. All the problems that concerns and worries us are temporal. Career, money, property. Jesus agonized over souls. He wept over souls. He even wept at Lazarus' tomb, knowing very well he's going to do his greatest miracle. He still wept. Why do you, do you weep, Jesus? Oh Lord Jesus, why do you weep at your greatest hour so far? You're going to bring out somebody who's been dead in the grave for four days. Boy, nobody has ever heard, seen anything like this. Why are you crying? I am crying because I know I can bring him out, but I do not know whether I take you in. That's why I'm crying. It's easier to resurrect a dead body than to redeem an unwilling soul. To resurrect a dead body, the Lord all has to say is, Lazarus, come out. But to redeem a soul, you have to say, I choose. Because even the almighty God will not bend to your will. You choose. I choose each day. That's why God said, choose this day. Choose. I gave you that freedom. I will not take it away. Choose this day. Whom you will serve. Choose this day. Choose. So where is our treasure? What is that we treasure? What is that we value? Because everything that we do in life is based on a value system. We value that. Personally, we value that. Those who sit before sports day and night is because they value that. Those who watch movie after movie after movie after month, it's because they value that. Those who can sit and talk endless hours, because they value that. Those who will work shift after shift after shift to make more money, it's because you value that. Everything, everybody has a value system. Everybody. There's no man who doesn't have a value system. Everybody has a value system. According to those value systems, you make a choice. So every Sunday, God is trying to change us, turn us back to his value system. What has value in his eyes? Let me ask you this question. It's happening in this country for quite some time. Why are people lynched in this country over supposedly carrying beef? Lynched, killed, even last week in Jharkhand. Why are people being killed over beef? Have you ever asked? So it's just religious fanaticism. No, it's not. It's a value system. If you believe in reincarnation and karma, then your soul is as good as an animal soul. 
And a delicate animal like the cow may be better in your value system than the cruel man who butchers it. So he deserves to die while the cow deserves to live. It's your value system. It's your value system. They operate on their value system. But our God says, you and you alone are made in my image, not the animals. No animal. No animal. Soul is redeemed. They live, they die. But you are immortal. Because I made you in my image. Value system. People do things because of a value system. In their subconscious. Why do the ISIS thugs rape and kill their victims? Because of the value system. Anybody who oppresses their form of Sharia is a kafir. An unbeliever. And his soul in his value system has no value. No value. In his value system, that soul has no value. And your misplaced theology tells, get rid of him, you're doing a service to God. Because his soul has no value. Value system. Where does your value system come from? Because ultimately you will operate according to that. Yuga to yuga I am born, said Krishna in the Gita, to destroy the sinners and save the righteous. Well, the Son of God says, I have come to save the sinners and not the righteous. Where does your value system come from? And Christians who know Christ, where does your value system come from? What is that you believe? Scripture says in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He so loved human beings. We human beings may not love each other so much, but God says, I love you so much. In my value system, you are precious. So precious, I gave my only begotten son for your redemption. Luke 19 and verse 10, scripture says, the son of man came for what purpose? To seek, to save the lost. I came to seek, to save. Healing, deliverance, all secondary, the primary purpose is salvation. Romans 5, 6 says, when we were still without strength, when you and I were weak, helpless, Christ Jesus came. Verse 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love towards us while we were still sinners. Why? Because he say, I say, incredible value in you. When you were weak, when you were sinners, not only that, 510 says, when we were enemies of God. Weak, sinners, not only that, we were sinners, enemies of God. And scripture says, I came to die you. Why, Lord, would you die for the weak, the ungodly, the sinner, the enemy of God? Because he says, in my father's value system, one human soul is worth more than this whole world. In my father's value system. What is your value system? Where did you get your value system from? Because we run after things. We run after wealth. 
We run after the comfort wealth can bring. We run after our name. We run after a career. Well, God runs after souls. God runs after souls. While Babylon traffics in souls, God chases souls that he may redeem them. In my father's business, souls are very, very important. The salvation of souls is primary. And wherever you see, that is not the primary intent. Jesus walks away. Jesus walks away. And that man who started in the name of Jesus is now just operating in a gift. Now he has what is called a healing ministry. But is salvation taking place? Is that your focus? Salvation of souls or healing? Deliverance your focus or salvation? Yesterday we were discussing in the men's meeting. Did you know about Jesus how he healed? He was so full of his father. He was so full of his father's nature. So full of his father's character. That he didn't even have to speak a word. He didn't have to do anything. But when a woman came from the back and she touched him. He said, virtue has flown. My father's life has gone. And touched her and made her heal. The very life of God, he brings healing. Virtue. Virtue. You chase after God. Does his virtue fill us? Do we seek his virtue more than anything else? What do we seek? Do you know your father, young people sitting here, all the young ones sit up straight? All young ones look up straight? Do you know your father? I'm not talking about earthly father. It doesn't matter who he is. Doesn't matter his present or absent if you know your heavenly father. Do you know your father? Do you know your father's business? Young people, let me tell you. Learn from Jesus. Learn from Jesus. One verse. One verse in the entire Bible describing 30 years of Jesus' life. One verse describing 30 years. You know what that verse is? Luke 2.52 Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and favor with men. One verse, young people. One verse describing the Son of God's 30 years of life. Why? Because preceding that are two verses that is written about him. That so it was found that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And verse 51, and then he went down with them, came to Nazareth and was subject to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. Listen to your teachers, young ones, and be subject to your parents. You will grow in wisdom and stature. 30 years in two verses. You don't rebel against your teachers. You don't mock them because their English is as good as yours. You don't correct their maths. Like Jesus, the greatest teacher ever, with the wisdom of God in his mind, listen to your teachers. Honor them. Ask questions if you have. Listen to them. And be subject to your parents, even if they don't understand who your father is. 
you will grow in wisdom and in stature, finding favor with God and favor with man. Do not be part of this rebellious generation who mock their fathers and scorn their teachers. Do not be part of that. That is the corrupt generation from whom we are called to separate on the message on the day of Pentecost. Come out of this unclean, corrupt generation. No, just two verses about the Son of God's man's life and his entire history written in one word. He grew in stature and in wisdom with God and with man. And when he steps forward at the age of 30, you have the heavens opening and the Father saying, this is my Son whom I love and I'm well pleased with him. What did you do, Jesus? Listen to my teachers and I was subject to my parents. Just that. That should define your lives. That should define your lives. That's why, 18 years later, scripture says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Well pleased. Be an honorable generation. Because you have received much. Unlike other generations. You may not have heard the word. The others may not have heard the word. They did not know God. They did not hear messages. They did not read the Bible. How many Bible studies do you want a week before you will be subject to your teachers? How many more Bible studies you need before you will be subject to authorities so that you can grow in stature and in wisdom, find favor with God and favor with men so that wherever you go, God goes with you, God goes before you and he starts opening doors before you because you have favor with God. And favor with man. It's God who opens doors which no man can shut. It's God who makes our crooked path straight. In our strength we can do nothing. Because we have the devil and the world against us. But we have God with us and for us. That's where the writer of Romans Paul says. If God is for us. Who can be against us? Who can be against us? Put a premium on your soul, church, young and old. Put a premium on the eternal. Put a premium on the spiritual. Because we live in the Martha syndrome world, distracted and upset by many things. But Jesus said, you're called to live the life of Mary, her sister. One thing, one thing, Martha, Martha, you needed to do. One thing, and Mary has done it. Martha, Martha, if you had sat only at my feet, you would have known what my father's business was. You're troubled and distracted by so many things. He said, I wasn't. I had an 18-hour shift, and I sat at my father's feet, heard clearly, ready for the next day. Ready, because I sat at my father's feet. We are like Martha. Distracted, upset by so many things. Distracted, upset. I get next. I can't come to church today because I have loose motions. How did emotions become loose? Should have been fasting on Saturday, preparing for church. You wouldn't have had loose motions. You have put your spirit ahead of your body. You would have been here. How many times do you need to have loose motions on Saturday before you will wake up and realize this is not normal? I am being blocked. From going to the house of God. How many times you need to wake up and see? Like we say in English, wake up and smell the coffee. 
But we have to wake up first before we can smell the coffee. Early in the morning, he woke up and sat at his father's feet. Perfect clarity. All men seek me. He says, no. Let's go about my father's business. Saying yes to God may mean, may mean often saying no to men. They may say, you are so mean. How can you be so heartless? All men seek you. Yes. I keep telling pastors, we serve men, but we are God's servants. We serve men. We serve women. We serve children, but we are God's servants. We serve men because we have learned to stand before God first, not before men. That's what Elijah looks at Ahab in the eye and says, before the God of Israel, before whom I stand. Stand before him. Stand before him. Therefore I serve you, O Israel. If you stand before men, be first. You will always end up serving men. And men will pull you in many directions. And you will not have the capacity to say no. And the needs are genuine. I'm not saying the needs are not genuine. The needs are genuine. But meeting the need of man always may not be the father's business. Loving God will mean not loving the world. Loving God does not mean I love the God, I love God and I love the world. It also means not loving the world. Pursuing holiness also means despising worldliness. Loving righteousness also means hating lawlessness. If you have doubts, read scripture. Hebrews 11, 1, 9. Hebrews 1, 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. It's natural. You can't love your wife and your girlfriend. It's not possible. A lot of people try that in Christendom. If you love righteousness, it also means you will hate lawlessness. Then there will be clarity in life because priorities are very clear. I know who my father is. I know what his business is and about doing today my father's business. As I start my day, It's so interesting. Lord, I have to meet 10 people today, 100 people today, 500 people today, but I just have to please one. You and you alone. How easy. How easy. And when you live life like that, 10 days, 30 days, 40 days, 100 days, you look at him and says, I know how to please you. I got you. Lots of people are mad at me, but Lord, I know you are pleased. 30 years later, the sun hears the heavens open and all of them hear, this is my son whom I love. I am well pleased in him. One person. In life, one person is all you have to please. In the process, you may please people, you may displease people, doesn't matter. You please one and one person. Because often we get obsessed with the needs and the longings of this body. This body. 
which Paul wonderfully calls this body of sin. We don't call that. You will say, ah, six packs. Ah, one gray hair. One pimple. Paul looks at it very clearly. Body of sin. Uh, we would, we should have told Paul, why did you leave your mirror behind? We could have made duplicates of mirror and give to every Christian. Every time you look at the body, you see a body of sin. Obsessed with this body, which the Bible calls the body of sin. This body is a type of Solomon's temple. Oh, one of the many temples built after that. It's just a temporary structure. It will be destroyed. Doesn't matter how beautiful or how strong this body, this temple is, it looks today. One day, it will be destroyed. During your days on earth, if the Lord is for your body, the Lord is for your body, only if your body is for the Lord. Otherwise, the Lord is not for your body. I'm talking about consistently. You can have a healing and then get back sick again and die of the same disease. But if you want the Lord for your body, scripture is very clear, the body should be for the Lord. Then the Lord is for the body. That's why it is written. When Moses died and he was being taken to his death, he walked to his death. He was not carried in a stretcher. He walked with God up the mountain, saw the promised land, then he died. Scripture says he was strong, as strong as he was at the age of 20 and he didn't need glasses. Body for the Lord, the Lord for the body, but it will be destroyed. One day you and I will receive another body. And the glory of the latter house, God says, will be greater than the glory of the former house. All those who are worrying about pimples and gray hairs and wrinkles, when you look into the mirror, confess the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. Young man, you don't have to pull your stomachs before the mirror. Just look at your stomach that is like a family pack and speak over it. It is written, food for the stomach, stomach for the food, both will be destroyed. So I have no issues with those things that are being destroyed. This is just a container. Get Because if you get these facts clear and it's embedded into your spirit, you will spend less time over these things and waste less money over these things. 2 Corinthians 4.7 We have this treasure in earthen vessel. This is just a container. Treasure is the redeemed soul. That is Christ in you and me. This is just an earthen vessel. Inside is the treasure. This body is passing away. Scripture, 2 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore we do not lose heart even though our outer man is perishing. Outer man is? But we lose heart when our outward man perishes because we have no consciousness of our inward man being renewed. That's the problem. We are worried about the outer body because we have no consciousness of the inward man. 
The inward man who is walking with God and constantly spending time with God and getting renewed, when his outward word is perishing, he's not bothered. But if your inward man is not being renewed, then you'll be worried about your outward body. But whether you worry or not, your outward body is perishing. 1 John 2, 17, this world you are so enamored about is also perishing. It's also passing away. 1 Corinthians 6.13 This body of God will destroy both it and the foods for the stomach. Foods, because he knows us. We won't stick to one. Even if it is biryani, we'll ask which one. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them. What is it? Your stomach. Them? Foods. So why are you running after this? What to eat? What to drink? This world will be destroyed. Second Peter chapter 3, 10 and 11. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you be? Since you know all these things, what should you be? Holy conduct and godliness. Since you know all these things are going to be destroyed, do you really know? If you really know, does it have an effect on your conduct? Does it have an effect on your soul that you are putting godliness on the top and pursuing godliness? Because all these things are going to be destroyed. Do we? That's why sitting the mount, sermon on the mount, that sermon on that mountain with his disciples and he tells the crowds in 625, I say to you, don't worry about your life. And he puts the whole thing. Jyoti, don't worry about your life. Deep, Deepika, don't worry about your life. Because these are class 10, 12 kids. Don't worry about your life. Study. Don't worry. Don't worry and study. Study. Don't worry about life. What will you eat? What will you drink? Or what your, about your body? What will you put on? Because life is much more than this. Don't focus on these things, he says. And he says, when you do that, in verse 32, he says, you are just an unbeliever with a Christian name. What are you? For after all these things, Gentiles seek. Are you a Gentile with a Christian name? He says, no. Gentiles run after these things. And then he turns and uses that beautiful word again. For your heavenly father. Heavenly father. Isn't that what especially Indian parents do? They will tell their child, one thing you do. What is that? Study. Don't worry about what to eat, what to drink. All that I will take care of. One thing I ask of you. Study, study well. That's our heavenly father too. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and Israel. One thing I ask you. May not be similar to what your father says or not. But one thing I ask you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things I will add. Oh, can we live life like that? Can we live life like that? God says, you can. How can you live life like that? Not knowing God. 
but by knowing God as your father. Knowing God as your father. Not just knowing him as God. Knowing God as your father. Then you know what the father's heart is. What the father's business is. The kingdom is all about souls. Therefore the question is not about how much you earn. How much you earn. How much you own. How high up the ladder you can climb. But these are the three questions everyone asks. When yesterday we looked at it. Even Christians. After everything matches, they will ask, what is his salary? Two proposals have come. Boys match in everything. But one has 10k, the other has 12k. We will put the dice on the 12k. How much do you? So you have been led by your stomach, not by your father's business. Otherwise, both are ten. Mm, ten, who can live today with ten and one proposalist, but he has a lot of property. How much do you own? Third category, they earn the same, they own the same two proposals, and they ask you, what are you in your company? I am section officer, and you? Manager. Ah, manager. Title is better. I can say my girl is married to a manager. The rest of his life she is managing him. Because she is teaching him management now. Because the parents chose the manager. Do you see how our minds are totally warped with the worldly system? Worldly system. We don't have the father's value system. At all. We don't. Do we ask before every decision, how does it affect my soul? If I take this decision, it's about studies. If I take this decision, how does it affect my soul? I once told a dear sister, she had a son. He did very well in the exams. And he's from a small little town. And I told her, Sister, don't send this kid to that city where he's got admission. Because he has no strength to say no. Don't send him. You send him, one day you will cry. Because he will destroy his life. No! Best college! Because our decisions are not based on the soul. Our decisions are based on the body. Do we make decisions based on the soul when it comes to studies? Do we really make decisions based on of a career based on the soul? Don't choose that career. Don't choose it. Very few people have survived godly in this career. Why do you want to choose it? Why do you want to choose it? Movies, music, entertainment. These are careers you should never choose unless you have been specifically called by God into it. Don't choose because you won't survive. 
You may come with all the wounds and drag yourself at the end. God will just tilt you over into the kingdom. That's fine before you die. But you will have nothing left when you enter. Do you make choices according to your soul? When it comes to a decision like marriage, is it a decision according to your soul, according to your spirit? Or is it according to your flesh? Ask. Know your father's value system. How will it affect my soul? Not only that, how will my decision, now that you are a believer, or you are a believer, how will my decision affect other souls? Okay, I am taking these decisions. I know it will not affect my soul. I believe I can handle it with the grace I have. But that's not enough. You have to ask another question. How will my decision affect other souls? Why? Because my father's business is all about souls. When I look at scripture, Romans chapter 14. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. That foot should first settle down. Who will give? Himself. When you stand before God, you will stand alone. And you will give an account to God. Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this. Resolve this. Not to put a stumbling block or a or cause to fall in our brother's way. I take a decision for my soul. But you know what? I can handle it. It doesn't affect me. But I look at my brother and realize, you know what? God is telling me don't do it because he can't handle it in your life. I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, he's using the most common denominator here. What to eat, what to drink, what to wear. Basic common denominators. And you're using one of the three. Therefore, it is a principle. Whether it is the food you eat, or what you drink, or what you wear, or other things of life. Your brother is grieved because of your food. You're no longer walking in love. You're no longer walking in love. No longer walking. You're broken the law of the kingdom. The law of the kingdom is what? The law of love, the whole door of heaven hangs on two hinges. Love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But he says, you have broken. You are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Do not destroy with your drink. Do not destroy with your dress for whom Christ died. Maybe you can handle it. Maybe your brother, your sister may not be able to handle it. So it is not only about how will it affect my soul. You have to go beyond it and ask this question. How does it affect other souls? Because I am my brother's keeper. I will not be like the reprobate when he has asked, where is your brother? I will not answer my God. How do I know? I am not my brother's keeper. He says, everyone in Christ is his brother's, his sister's keeper. Are we reprobates? Are we children of the living God? Verse 16. Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We know this. 
Let's come to the next one. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by man. In these things, he says, even in the simplest of simple things, common things of what to eat, what to drink, what to wear, all these things, be acceptable to God and be approved by man. Be approved by God and man. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Because I am responsible for my brother's soul. Next verse. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. That's why all these bans in India should not bother us. Oh, it offends my Hindu brother eating a cow. That's fine. I can... I can live without beef. doesn't bother me. Because I'm after his soul, not after his cow. But the problem is so many Christians get so upset and angry because they're after his cow. And they don't care where his soul goes. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself. Before God, happy is he who does not condemn in himself in what he approves. You may approve of it. Young sisters, you may approve of a dress. But you may condemn somebody else by the very dress you wear. One look at you. They say, if that's a Christian, boy, I don't want to be a Christian. I'll prefer to remain a Muslim. I'm thank you. At least there's some modesty in my religion. If this is what their liberty means, I don't want to be free. You may condemn yourself by what you approve. Be careful. Because we are put in charge of souls. Souls. Don't put body first. Body will be destroyed one day. We are put in charge of souls. We are spirit beings first. We are not body beings first. And therefore, every one of us sitting here to whom much has been given, much is required. So the question is, where did you get your value system from? Do we see as our father sees? Do we see as our father sees? Do we? Oh, church in love edition. God's final cry to the last church. Do you really see your state? You say you have everything. But the spiritual reality is you are naked, you are poor, you are blind. And the worst of it is that you have lukewarm. Not only are you naked, not only you are wretched, not only you are poor, you are blind and you have lukewarm. You have no passion for God at all. No passion for the Father's business. Do you see the passion of Jesus? When you read the Gospels, do you see the passion? You see the compassion of Jesus when he looks at the sick, the weak, the poor, the compassion. But did you see the passion of Jesus? We have heard and listened to the compassion of Jesus. But did you see the passion of Jesus? John chapter 4 we see, he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. 
They said, what? Next verse. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Did he ever get so excited when he raised Lazarus from the dead? Did he get so excited when he healed the leper? Did he get so excited when he fed a multitude? Did he get excited when he stilled the storm? Did he get excited when he walked on water? Why are you so excited? He says, because a woman has been saved. I am excited. This is my father's heart. This is my father's business. The redemption of souls, don't you understand? You are excited over all these things. I am excited because a woman, a woman who had worthless in her society, who had no name, has now known the savior. I am excited. Do we get excited? Read the Gospels clearly, children, so that you understand the heart of your father. What are we excited about? What are we excited? Do we really understand our hearts? Father's heart. All of last week I was listening to pastors. I saw David Wilkerson preaching, weeping, weeping at the pulpit, unable to continue. Weeping over souls. I see Paul Washer in somewhere and all this thing, unable to speak, weeping, weeping over souls. And I said, oh Lord, look at this man of God. Look at this man of God. They really know your heartbeat. They are crying over souls. They understand what your heart is. They know what their father's heart is. Do we, do we, are we moved? Are we moved? Are we moved? What moves us? See the excitement, the passion of Jesus. One soul. One soul. One soul. Understand. Get value system right. He sent them out. The disciples came back after ministry. They were so excited. They said, Lord, you know what? Even demons are subject to us in your name. They were so excited. He said, wait a second. Wait a second. Don't get excited. You know what he said? Nevertheless, do not rejoice in that spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He said, don't get excited over all this. Many who cast out demons will go to hell. Many will come in my name and say, in your name we cast out. They will go to hell because they did not understand. The value is not over the body that was oppressed. The value was over the soul that had to be redeemed. Be glad. Rejoice over one fact over which you have no power, no control, no authority. That is your soul has been redeemed by God. Rejoice over it. I could never save myself. He saved me. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Understand the value system. It's your soul. It's your soul that is important to God. Everything else is an after effect of salvation. Jesus Christ of Nazareth came and died on the cross and rose upon the third day to save your and my soul. Everything else is add-ons. And if, and if you and I receive none of the other add-ons, it doesn't matter if you are redeemed, you are redeemed for eternity. Oh, there was a man who was dressed in purple and ate sumptuously, lived in luxury, but when he died, he ended up in hell. That's what Jesus says. There was a man right at his gate. Scripture says there was a poor man called Lazarus right at his gate, poor, who ate the scraps from his table, full of sores, and the dogs licked him. And he died, and he went to heaven. 
Does sickness stop you from heaven? No. Does poverty stop you from heaven? No. Did the rich man who was banqueting every day know judgment had been set at his own gate? At his own gate judgment was set. God was telling him every day, at your gate is a man. Do you see him and is your heart moved, oh man? He said, no, I am not moved. He says, judgment is set at your own gate. At your own gate. Have you moved? Have you moved? Are you moved? My souls? Are we so engrossed in this world and how to go about in this world to take care of this body which God says will perish, will be destroyed. What about the soul? Your soul and other souls? Do we have that excitement? Do you rejoice as Jesus? Paul knew the heart of the master. Listen to what he says. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? He says, what do I rejoice on? He says, it's you. My joy is you, O Thessalonica church. When I stand before Christ Jesus and if I see all of you over there, boy, I'm going to dance. Because I am out for souls. You are my joy. Paul is not going around. Which company do you work, brother? What is your salary, brother? No, are you saved, brother? Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. That's all that matters. Oh, Jesus. What are the trophies we rejoice in? Do we realize the spiritual reality of the richest person on earth or the poorest? It doesn't matter if your soul is not saved. Do you realize their reality? The soul is not saved. It doesn't make any difference. You understand. You are the richest man on earth. You are the poorest man on earth. Spiritual reality is the same. Physical reality. He lives in a mansion. Multi-million mansion. He lives on the streets. Have to move each day as the cops kick him off. But your spiritual reality is the same. Ephesians 2.12 says, At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant. What does it mean? Spiritual reality is, you are homeless. You're homeless. You may live in a multi-million dollar mansion. You may live on the street. When you die, you have no home. You are a homeless soul. You are a homeless soul. On the other hand, if you know Christ, even if you live on the hut or a house or a palace, Hebrews 11.16 says, He is preparing a city for them. He is preparing a city for you and me. You are not homeless. They are homeless. They're illegal aliens. That's what called. That's what the previous verse said. Illegal aliens. You know what illegal aliens are? Do you know how they live in fear? Go to US and see. When they see those guys with that ICE ice written on their backs, they freeze. Not because these guys are carrying ice. It's immigration custom enforcement division coming to pick the illegal aliens. You are in prison and you are extradited back to the country from where you came out. You don't belong here. 
They live in fear. They live in fear. Millions of US citizens, they are not citizens, they are illegal aliens. They live in fear. When they see those ICE agents come, God says, one day, divine ICE agents will come. Matthew 25 and verse 32, he says, all nations will be gathered before him and he will divide the citizens and the aliens. His two sides. The chance is up. You didn't think about your soul. You didn't call upon the Redeemer. You were so engrossed in the world. Now the time of separation has come. Do we see what a terrible day it will be? All your riches, all your certificates, all your recommendation letters, nothing matters. The only question that matters is, is your soul saved? If you're homeless on that day, if you're an alien on that day, you know what they do in Australia? Illegal immigrants, they're put in an island in the Pacific. Two islands. You're put up there, locked up. They don't allow you into the country. They catch you, they put you in the island until the country from where you comes came, takes you back. On that day when you are divided, there is only one place prepared. Revelation 20.15 says, The book of life was looked and you were cast into the lake of that's why Jesus told the disciples, hey, 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 Peter, hey, Peter, stop jumping. Stop jumping. Don't rejoice that demons are subject to you. Rejoice over the fact your names are written in the book of life. On that day, that's the only thing that matters is your name, my name, there or not. That's the only thing that matters. See from God's eyes. That is why God says, do you know my father's business? You're aimless, homeless. If you do not know Christ, doesn't matter what your physical reality is. Not only that, Ephesians 2.12, you are hopeless in this life. What hope do you have? I ask people, what do you believe in? I believe in reincarnation. I said, how can you believe in reincarnation? No, I said, look, let me ask you a hypothetical question. If you have to believe in reincarnation, okay, I have reincarnated from a previous life, so I'm hoping I can be better. How can you hope to be better if you don't remember anything from your past life? Do you remember anything from your past life? No. So you can commit the same sins and be condemned to the same cycle for the rest of your eternity, right? I never thought about it. I said, think about it. Because it's written in my word, it's appointed unto man to die once, and then it is judgment. No carnation. The only carnation you'll get is the carnation they put on your coffin. Carnation means flower, by the way. And when they put the flower in your coffin, it is called incarnation. Homeless? Hopeless. Hopeless. Do you know? If you do not know Christ, you're homeless. You're hopeless. Not only homeless and hopeless, Romans 7.24 says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You are also helpless. What is the state of the man who lives in the million dollar mansion who doesn't know Christ? Homeless, hopeless, helpless. Do you want to join the ranks by pursuing a career? 
Microsoft offers you. That's why I love hearing from Shrikar every day. Pastor, aren't you in the land of dreams? Yeah, nightmare. No church, no word. Nobody speaks about repentance anywhere. It is like soothing messages. Pastor, when will they speak the truth in this nation? I said, that's why you are there. Pray. Without Christ, we are homeless, hopeless and helpless. Destroyed in the lake of fire. Lake of fire. Think about it. Lake of fire. That's why God gives you this vivid, vivid, vivid examples in these last days, last months. Did you see? 26-story building in London, right in the heart of London. In the midnight hour, caught fire. How many died? They said, we can't even identify you. Even there is no DNA left. Gone. Burned. Unable to see. Did you see the sights of people crying from the windows? Help, help, help. Throwing babies out. Just catch. Fire. Why is he giving this example? He's saying, no, no, no. This is a physical example of the spiritual reality of those who do not know Christ. Does that move you? Oh, now we are agitating for better safety systems for the houses. No, brother, go preach the gospel. That is not what you need to be agitating for. What you should be agitating for is the freedom to preach the cross on the streets of London where they don't allow you now. Where the preacher who read from the Bible scripture about the, how homosexuality is wrong, yeah, was put in prison in that country. You need safety for your soul first, not for your body. Did you see the pictures that came last week from Spain and Portugal? The wildfires and the people trying to escape in the cars and the fires caught them so many, 50, 40, 60, burned in their cars. If you cannot escape a fire on planet earth with all your technology, how do you escape the lake of fire? God says, my son, my son, my son. Do you understand? God says, do you understand? You who understand, how come there is no urgency in your lives in seeking the lost? How come there is no passion for your father's business. He said that passion won't come. Unless you have spent time with the father like my son. Every day he spent time with his father. And then he came. And he was driven by this passion for souls. And he looked at this crowd. And the need of the crowd for healing and deliverance. He said no let's go. I need to preach in other cities. Because it is through the foolishness of preaching. That people are saved. You may look with your eyes and say, what? Can't we postpone your preaching? Can't we heal the sick? Jesus said, no. We can postpone that. We cannot postpone this. Get value system in place. Get it. Very clear. The urgency. As we come, come. Get that passion. That's what I always look at. I always listen to a preacher and the first thing I look at in the, when I'm listening to the preacher is that is he a teacher or does he have passion? If he doesn't have passion, it's okay. Teachers you won't find anywhere. Better teachers are always. You can read a book written by a teacher is better than listening to it. Because if you don't have passion for your father's business, that also means you never encountered him really. You cannot encounter Jesus and not be caught by that fire. 
Even Jeremiah with the worst message you could ever be given to preach. Poor man, nobody should get such a message. But he was given such a terrible message. But he says, I cannot help preaching it because it is shut in my bones like fire. So it doesn't matter what the message is. The fact is that you've been set on fire. Oh, didn't the disciples on the road to Emmaus said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he walked with us? Passionless Christians. It's become the fashion now. No passion. Oh, no. Look at Jesus' passion. How that passion for souls will break the letter of the law. Didn't he say in Matthew 10? What did he say in Matthew 10? I gave you that scripture, right? Matthew 10, 5? No, no, no. 10, 5, son. The 12 disciples, Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans. Do not enter a city of the Samaritans? Lord, what are you doing? Sitting and talking with a Samaritan woman. <laughs> Didn't you say that? He said, yeah, I said it. Then, Aren't you breaking your own rule? He said, yes. Why? Because dad said she's ready for salvation. Every letter of the law, God breaks for to save a soul. You know what is written in John chapter 4? And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed there. What? Lord, you said don't enter into the town of the Samaritans and you stayed there two days. He said, yes. Why? I'm excited. They're getting saved. Left, right, center, they're getting saved. Why? Because of that one woman. And what was her testimony? Will we testify like that? She went and told all of them, you know what? He told everything about me. What did he say? Uh, you don't know? I heard some things about you. Oh, you only heard something. Let me tell you the fourth story. I had five husbands. I was living with the sixth one and he came and told me it all. <gasps> he told you, yeah, he's a true prophet. He told me everything that was hidden. They said, yeah, then he must be the Messiah. Salvation of souls. Yes. You know what the prodigal son's father said? In Luke 15, 23. Bring the calf here. Kill it and let us eat and be merry. Why? Because he said, it is right that we be merry. Because this boy was dead. And now he is alive. He was lost. And now it is found. It is the salvation of a lost soul. We have to rejoice. Is that why we rejoice? But all our rejoicing over birthdays, anniversaries, if you forget your anniversary, husbands, the guillotine comes. If you forget their birthday, fathers and mothers, you'll be reminded till they overgrow it. How could you forget my birthday? When did you have a party for a lost soul that was saved? Value system. Get it clear. Luke 15, 10. Look at what this. Likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
once in a heaven breaks out into celebration. Once in a who repents. There is somebody who repents today. Yeah, turns to God or returns back to God. You may hear no firecrackers in this church, but there will be definitely firecrackers going out in heaven. It's come back. My son has come back. My daughter has come back. Understand the father. That's where our joy is. That's why we pursue souls relentlessly. Like that great poet wrote, the hound of heaven. Hound of heaven chased me down. Hound of heaven. He never left me. He chased me down until he got my soul. He's been pursuing you. And pursuing me. Let's keep this gospel very simple. Very, very simple, young ones. Don't worry about what to eat, what to drink, what to wear, where to work, whom to marry. I point the five things that concern life. What to eat, what to drink, what to wear, where to work, whom to marry. Don't worry. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Prepare your hearts. As you partake of these emblems, I pray, set your heart Right with God. When you go to God, also go without fear, knowing He is your Father. Only He is able to put us right. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot. There are a lot of things we can do. There's one thing we cannot do. That is, save ourselves. There is only one Savior. We can go back to Him today and say, Father, as I come to this table, I truly, truly want to commune with you this seventh month. Teach me, help me, Lord, to spend time with you alone. Doesn't matter where you live. Maybe it's your terrace. Maybe it's your bathroom. I know people who lived in unbelieving homes and the only place they could spend time with God alone was their bathrooms. The only place they could read their Bible was through the light that came through the keyhole because even the light was not allowed in. But they were hungry, passionate for God. Passionate for God. So it doesn't matter what your situation is. You don't have to look for a mountain to go or a wilderness. God will find you a place. But you have to decide in your heart, Oh Lord, if you didn't spend time with Him today, when you go back, spend time with Him. And start tomorrow, this seventh month, start tomorrow saying, Lord, I want clarity in my mind. I want clarity. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I don't want to be overworked by so many things which are good. I'm not saying people who do bad things, they know what they shouldn't do. I'm talking about people who are overworked by good things and they are not able to say no. Jesus was able to say no to those things in ministry we would consider excellent. He said no to healing. He said no to deliverance. He said yes to preaching. Why? Because he heard clearly from the Father. He would leave the crowds who are seeking after him and walk through a hot day for one soul. One soul. Because that's the premium God puts on a soul.
This morning as we come to that table that made it all possible. That his body was broken for which you could please come pastor. His body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us for the redemption of our souls. Father this morning we thank you for the gift of your son. For the redemption of our souls. We didn't pay any price for our redemption. But you paid it all, Father. Paid it all, Father. I pray, Father, we will never, never forget what it cost you to redeem a sinner's soul. For you to be perfectly just and yet justify the unjust. Your son had to pay the price on the cross. Because you loved us. Help us to love you. Help us to love the unsaved ones. we partake of these emblems that is let it bring healing and deliverance and wholeness and bring that vision back into our eyes and the passion and the fire back into our hearts of God. Thank you Father. Thank you. In Jesus name we pray. As we come to the close of this morning's service in Acts chapter 8 and verse 39 scripture says when Philip had ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch, he went rejoicing. Rejoicing. Can I have it up on the board? So the Enoch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. Is there anybody who has lost the joy of their salvation? David cried in his prayer, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. If you have never experienced it, maybe you are not saved. And if you experienced it and you lost it, come back to God. Salvation brings enormous, enormous joy. What brings us joy? In Acts chapter 15, Scripture says when Paul and Barnabas came and reported. No, no, it's three. Isn't it three? X 15. Scripture says it caused great joy. They came back and they reported it to the church. Verse three, not five. 15.3, it says, they came and describing the conversion of the Gentiles and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Excited. The believers were so excited when they heard Gentiles were getting saved. And before God tells the old man Daniel to close his book. Enough, Daniel, of your questions. I'm not going to tell you anymore. Shut your writing. Enough. But he tells him something. 
about salvation. He says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. It's very interesting. Not those who are knowledgeable. Wisdom. Those who are wise knows the father's heart and knows his business. Okay? And those who turn many to righteousness, those who bring a harvest of souls into the kingdom, they will shine like stars forever and ever. Don't get fooled on that day. You will see some poor lady whom nobody knew from Kakinada and Warangal and all standing up shining like the star. You say, where did she come? She God will say she was on her knees for 15 years and prayed thousands into the kingdom while you were busy, busy fiddling your toes. Don't ever get fooled. It's not that everybody preaches. Everybody knows their father's business. Everybody knows their father's business. First, know your father. Know your father. Know your father's business. And play your part. Did you know what part each one plays in his business? That's your specific purpose. Keep your focus. Know your priorities. Jesus was very clear about his priorities. It doesn't matter how great the need was, how great the pressure was. I am not moving until I've spent time with my father. I need to know what does he want me to do. And then when his father told him, he was incredibly passionate about it. Passionate. Passionate. I always think to myself, and I ask other pastors to which of us, if we had a crowd of people waiting for us to come and minister to them and we have the power to heal and to deliver would leave them and probably walk through the hot sun for a gentile woman who would do it Christ would Christ would understand behind every promise in the bible there is a command no blanket promise. There is a command which you have to obey. One of the most wonderful promises in the new covenant as we close is in Matthew 28 verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. He says, if you understand your father's purpose in your school, in your college, in your workplace, it is the redemption of the souls. Oh Lord, here I stand. Let your life shine through me. Let there be anything in me that blocks that. It is the redemption of the souls that is important, Lord. Help me to bring one soul into thy kingdom. Help me to lead that person to a church where he or she can be discipled. God, God says, till the end of your age, I, you will always experience my presence. I will be with you. Anybody who knows the redemption of souls is your primary focus. You will always experience my presence. You will always, I will be always with you. Lo, I am with you always. Doesn't matter where you are, what situation if you are. If your primary focus in anything you do is the salvation of souls, God says, whether you are in prison, I'll be there. Whether you are in your college, I'll be there. Whether you are in an island, alone, 
I'll be there. I will be there with you because you are at my father's business. Did we get it? Know your father. Know your father's business. Shall we stand? Shall we sing that song once again, Peter? Come. That fire needs to come back. Fire, fire needs to come back. Even Timothy lost it. Okay? So don't worry. When Timothy, Paul's own disciple, was losing it, so Paul comes back and says, fan it back to flames. Fan it back to flames. Go back to that place where you are alone with God. Get on your knees, get on your face, cry to Him and say, Father, I want you back. I went away. You never moved. I went away. I'm coming back, Lord. I want to feel, experience you once again. I want that fire back, Lord. Because some of you are very zealous for God once. Very zealous for God once. But the zeal has gone. The seventh month, first Sunday, start the journey back. Yes, Peter. other voices speak to me and I listened and I believed those voices I lost my focus I work harder today than ever before but there is no joy or you may be less working less than ever before and you are so tired it's only one who can renew your soul strengthen your body Jesus. Father, we just come to you, Lord. We just come to you. Light that fire again, O oh God. 
if your heart is for souls if your heart is passionate for souls can our heart long after anything else oh god your son had to die to redeem souls you are only asking us to live that souls may be redeemed all are not called to die but all are called to live today father we stand before thee and i pray you would forgive us our sins you would forgive us our lack of passion you would forgive us this lethargy connected with the father's business forgive and deliver us deliver us from these forces that oppose you and your purpose in our lives commit each one of your children here lord and i take authority in the name of jesus of nazareth and i command every spirit of depression every spirit of discouragement every spirit of death every spirit that is not of god you will leave god's people in jesus name and i pray father that you would fill them once again with your spirit cleanse them with your fire that our hearts our hearts are stayed on you our hearts are on fire for you oh god that we would daily seek your face cry out before you lord for souls each day souls are perishing and going to hell fire that we would see the real need oh god touch father touch touch empower strengthen comfort lord thank you father come against that orphan spirit in the name of jesus of nazareth they are not orphans but god is our father we are at our father's business lord thank you thank you thank you lord like you father like you lord jesus let zeal for your father's house consume our hearts lord thank you father we go into a new month may your presence go with us may we always tarry in your presence may always seek to sit at your feet like mary and then serve you like martha help us to get our priorities clear oh god that you may be glorified on earth that we may truly lift Christ Jesus up in our lives in our homes in our institutions and all men may be attracted to him and him alone oh god thank you father bless your people heal your people deliver your people and meet them at their point of need oh god thank you father thank you we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name we bless your holy name oh god we bless your holy name for in Jesus name we pray amen the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of the father and the fellowship of the holy spirit rest and abide with each one of us amen and amen